Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Well, you have to admit, it is a little ironic. (laughs) Who would have thought it? In Florida, in late summer, early fall, we do a series on life in a hurricane. And sure enough, God sends a real hurricane. God has a sense of humor. Or maybe we knew exactly what we were doing. I'll let you decide. But here's the deal. You know, none of us, well, except for those of you that just moved to Florida after the pandemic, but the rest of us who have lived here a while, and some of us even our entire life, none of us should have been surprised by this. Storms come in the early fall, late summer. That happens all the time. Now we've had a little bit of a break between big storms, but this is nothing new. So this storm coming shouldn't have surprised any of us. That's exactly what we've been talking about all these weeks as we walk through this series called Life in a Hurricane. They're coming. Storms of life, hurricanes of life, interpersonal relationships, family stuff, even church family stuff, even cultural stuff out in the world. These storms are coming and maybe are already here. It shouldn't surprise any of us. So bring the storm. We're ready. And to get ready, I brought something along that maybe some of you have done yourselves. Now, I don't know if you're going to know what this is, but maybe if you've lived in Florida through a couple of hurricane seasons, you know what this is. Maybe if you've lived in a third world country, you know what this is. Maybe if you've lived in a war-torn country during major conflict, you know what this is. What is this? Bug out bag or a go bag, exactly right. What do we have in our go bag? This is something you have uh, maybe hidden under your bed or in the back of a closet with all of the important things that you're going to need in case of an emergency. <laughs> the enemy marauders are, are, are headed for your house. The, the, the civil unrest of your country is about to explode. Or a major category four hurricane is barreling down on your house as you grab the babies and you grab the dog you grab your go bag and you're gone what do we have in our go bag what we have our we have our uh, our our important documents our our passport or our important paper you have important papers like uh, birth certificates and uh and marriage license you have in here maybe some batteries for your for your uh, flashlights, you have maybe some important family photos that you don't want to get lost in a flood. And, of course, you have some cash because ATM machines aren't going to work. Or uh, maybe there is no more ATM machines if you're in a war-torn zone. And then, of course, the family valuables, you, you store them in here as well. And in this go bag, you grab it and you go. That's, that's what's in my go bag. What's in your go bag? When you think about... When you think about what's most valuable to you, the things that you wouldn't want to leave behind, the things that are in this world, in your house, in your life, that you would want to make sure that you took with you wherever you go. Because if you return, when you return, that house and all of its contents may not be there when you get back. We've all seen the pictures, haven't we? What, what would you put in your bag? Jesus has some very strong thoughts on this subject. He talks about what is ultimately important to you and me. The things that he would put in our go bag might not be the things that you and I would put in our go bags. 
We're going to open our Bibles again to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for weeks now. This Life in a Hurricane series is based on that famous Sermon on the Mount. You remember what it is? It's three chapters long. Jesus preaching and and teaching and and telling folks. Remember what it was. This was brand new to them that, that these folks are now members of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So he is describing for three chapters long what citizenship in this new kingdom looks like. So today we're in right there in the middle, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read a couple of those verses. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. If you have your phone, you can aim it at that little QR code. You can pull up the notes or you can just watch behind me. But important thing is we really understand what Jesus is telling us. What Jesus would put in our go bag. What Jesus thinks is the most important thing on earth to take with us where we're going. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is what Jesus is saying. Number one, he's saying if if Jesus were in charge of your go bag, the very first thing he would place in there would be eternity. Eternity. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at, look at the words real quick. Lay up and treasures. Two key phrases in this verse that we must understand or we're not going to understand what Jesus was truly teaching. A lot of times we get kind of distracted by the fact that there's a lot of, it's a lot of money talk in this particular passage in, in a very long sermon. And we kind of freeze at that because money is so uncomfortable for us, especially here in the church. So if at all possible, we'll kind of glance right past this and get to the, the real stuff that we can really talk about. We don't like to talk about money because it, it tenses us up. But let's dig in and see what Jesus was really saying here. He says, uh, lay up. Laying up was, was to build up to accumulate in the original language, to heap up, or whatever it meant, however you stored up, heaped up, uh, gathered up, the use for that product, that thing, whatever it was you were storing up, heaping up, accumulating, was for use later in the future, not for right now. So that's not necessarily the problem. The problem is the treasures. What does the word treasure mean? Now, the word treasure in Greek, let's see if you know this word, I bet you do. It's the Greek word thesaurus. I bet you've heard that word, right? The source is a book. You open the book and it has a listing of, of most of the, the nouns that you would know, even some verbs, and it lists out the synonyms of those. So it is a treasure trove of synonyms. That's what this word means. The, the treasure here is the word thesaurus, which means not just a treasure, one particular item, but an entire collection of items. A lot of work has gone into this. So what is Jesus saying? I am putting eternity into your heart. I am putting eternity into your go bag. This needs to be a priority for you and not what most of us are doing. Jesus isn't preaching against owning something nice. Jesus isn't preaching against owning a luxury item, a fancy watch or or a boat. If anything, Jesus is encouraging us to own boats, but that's another sermon for another day. He is not talking about one item. Or or even nice things if you like nice clothes or nice shoes. That's not the point. He's saying if you are heavily invested, if you are building not just a treasure, but an entire treasure chest, an entire uh, location, and multiple locations, that's the problem. Why? Because we are too heavily invested in this world. Here's the deal. This world is not our home. This earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And heaven is coming fast. 
faster for some of us. We were made for eternity. We were not made for this world. What we have here, what we earn here, what we receive here is to be spent here. We can't take it with us. No one's ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. Johnny Rockefeller, when he passed away, he passed away actually right here in Florida on the East Coast. Back then, that's where uh, rich folks from the North would come on winter holiday. He passed away while he was here in Florida. His personal accountant traveled with him everywhere he went. I, I guess that's what you do when you're the wealthiest person on earth. So, so the reporters went to him right after John's death and said, hey, uh, we can't even imagine how much was there. We can't even imagine how wealthy he was, the wealthiest human being to ever walk the face of this earth. How much did Don G. Rockefeller leave when he died? Now the answer, all of it. You can't take it with you. You can't take it to heaven. If, you, if you're... I know you're not, but imagine we had one of these uh, crazy dictators from some of these crazy lands. If, if there's a, a civil uprising, and they're about to get kicked out of their land, and they want to come to southwest Florida because that's, that's what you do to retire. It's safe. It's nice. And with all that uh, Venezuelan currency, all that North Korean currency, all that Cuban currency, surely they can buy a nice house here. Good luck with that. But it's not going to do them any good if they try to bring their Venezuelan currency, their, their Cuban currency, their North Korean currency. They've got to change it at the border. What works fine where they are ain't going to work in the promised land of southwest Florida. The same is true for you and for me. What we can spend here, what we can store here, what we can save up here, that works fine in this world. But we can't take that same currency to our promised land. It doesn't work. Do not lay up, the Bible says, do lay up in heaven. These are the only commands in this whole passage. Everything else adds to, encourages, uh, clarifies these commands. This is not a command to just simply change our focus to, uh, for example, take all of the resources, all of the savings, all of the money in our personal bank accounts and suddenly transfer it to the church's bank account. That is not what Jesus is calling you. Uh, sorry, Todd. Todd's our, our treasurer. He was kind of hoping I was going that way, but that's not the direction God is going. That's not what Jesus is teaching here because storing up is actually a good thing. As Jesus is talking to these folks there, you know, 2,000 years ago, the majority of these folks were part of an, uh, an agrarian society. You know how that works? If you grew up on a farm, you know exactly what I'm saying. Storing up is not only important, it is key to survival. You must store up in the good months to have enough for the slow months. You must store up enough from the harvest to replant for the next harvest. This is a normal part. In fact, in the Old Testament, you remember Joseph who was carried off into Egypt. He was an expert in storing up. Because he was so good in storing up, we celebrate him. He saved the entire nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel as well because he was so good at storing up. Storing up is not the problem. Jesus gave a Test a story, a parable in the, in the book of Luke about a farmer that was a little bit too good at storing up. He had, he had done so well and then packed it away. He had done so well and then packed away. He had done so well and then packed away. And then he, and eventually he's having to build more of these thesauruses, these treasure troves for all of his stuff. And Jesus says, that very night, your life will end. And the Bible says this, this is how it is for anyone who stores up for themselves but was not rich towards God. That 
is the problem. Storing up, having stuff is not the problem, but storing up for ourselves. So here's the question. If eternity is key, if eternity is one of the things we would put in our go bag, and our focus is on eternal things, not on earthly, temporal things, how do we know the difference? How do we know if that which we're investing in, we're storing up, we're, we're saving back for the future is a temporal thing? And how do we know if it's truly an eternal, a heavenly thing? Let's look back at the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, here it comes, where moth, rust, and thieves destroy and steal. It says it right there in the very next verse, where moth, rust, and thieves destroy and steal. Here's the deal. If a moth can get to it, if rust can destroy it, if a thief can steal it, you may have an earthly treasure. Here's what I want you to do. I mean this. This is like serious homework. Tonight, sometime during this week, I want you and your spouse or you and your, your heart, your spirit to just think through the things that you have accumulated. Some of us have had more time to accumulate than others. Some of us have bigger treasure troves to hide, store, hoard all of our earthly treasures. I want you to think through those things. And if a moth can eat it away, rust can destroy it, and a thief can steal it, I want you to call it what it is. Now, I'm not saying you got to give it away, throw it away, donate it to goodwill. I'm not saying that. That's between you and Jesus. I just want you to call it what it is. Now, how do we make the switch to eternal things, heavenly things? I'm going to throw out just a list. This is not an exhaustive list. This at least gets our mind thinking in the heavenly direction. What are the things that we can, we can do, we can store away that will last for an eternity? Number one, how about you go visit a sick person? We've got a number of them. We send out a weekly prayer list every single week at our church. I know because I've heard it from them how encouraged they are when someone comes to visit. You can join Pastor Dave on Thursdays when he goes and visit the guys in the prison. You can, you can begin serving with the kids on Sunday morning or on Wednesday evening. You can begin serving in any capacity in our church. There's a need for serving. You can call an old friend. You can call a family member that you haven't talked to in a while just, just to encourage them and, and let them know you were thinking of them and praying for it. You can begin mentoring. We have awesome youth. I promise you what you receive back from our youth will be anything to what you pour in. Maybe some of you uh, older mommies or grandmas. Yeah, that's right, Patricia. Amen for that. Some of you older mommies, grandmas, pouring into some of our young couples, our young mommies with fresh babies and, and more questions and answers. Maybe God's calling you to begin pouring into a young child through fostering, even adoption. God's calling you to just get outside and enjoy his beautiful nature and then take the time to thank him for what he gave you and what he's done. How about this one? Saying no to a big purchase for yourself in order to take that same amount of money and purchase a bunch of smaller things for somebody else, someone other than yourself. What about this one? about taking a portion of your income, a portion of the money that is rightfully yours, and give it back to God? My poor kids, they didn't have a chance. They saw their mommy and their daddy do this from before we were even married, every single week, faithfully doing that. I didn't have a chance. I saw my dad. I could, in my mind's eye, I can see my father right now 
He was in a coat and tie because that's what you wore to church back then. Sunday morning, he would sit down at his home desk. He'd open up the drawer, pull out the drawer. He'd reach for the checkbook, and he had a special pen he used for writing checks. He'd pull out that pen. Every Sunday on the way to church, he would write that check because he was a tither. He didn't have a chance. He saw his dad, Grandpa Acton, do the very same thing. My grandpa never missed a day at church, and as he was getting older and couldn't, couldn't be with us every Sunday, he asked that we'd swing by his house and pick up his tithes check. Everyone knows it would have been fine to wait. Everyone knows it would have been okay to do it later. Everyone knows he'd already given enough, certainly for 10 lifetimes, but it was that important to him that Jesus knew he was thankful for what he had received, and he would in turn give back what was God's. These are the things that last forever. These are the things that last for an eternity. But there's a second thing that Jesus would put in our go bag. Look at verse 21. Jesus would put generosity, generosity in our go bag. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to hear this one again. This is key. In fact, I believe there's nothing that, that I or any human being could add to this verse. It is that perfect. Let me read it one more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus had a way of taking his, his strong, powerful carpenter pointer finger and sticking it right in our chest. And you knew he was talking to you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Show me the money, and I'll show you your heart. There is no denying it. There is no hiding it. There is no faking it. Follow the money, and we will find your heart. What do you love the most? What do you trust the most? Where are you building your kingdom here on earth? And I will show you the money and your heart. We as believers in 2022, we have believed a lie that, that somehow it is okay to continue to, to think like the world, to, to live like the world, to love what the world loves, and at the same time have a strong and powerful Christian witness. It is not possible. We are called to be in the world but not of the world, in the world, but not as the world lives. God is calling us as believers to be overtly generous, radically generous, so generous that the world takes notice, not of us because we're anything special. Please, uh, I don't mean that at all. But when they take notice of our generosity, they know that we've come from a generous God. How is that testimony being lived out in your life? Well, I'll give you an example. In America today, now I'm talking about Americans, not, not, not church folks, Americans. In America today, most folks, on average, give away about 2% of their income to charities. All kinds of charities, some are good, some are bad, doesn't matter. Americans, in general, give away 2%. Now let's talk about us. Not, 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 not all Christians, I'm talking about Christians that go to churches where the Bible is being preached. Churches a lot like ours, but just in other cities. So among churches like ours, Christians like, like us, uh, American Christians like we are, we give away 
Does that scream generosity? Does that scream a different kind of a lifestyle? Does that scream, follow me as I follow a generous God? Generosity is radical. Generosity is counter culture. Generosity goes against everything our heart and our flesh would desire. It is not about what God wants from us. It is rather what God wants for us. This is what God is teaching. It is an open-fisted kind of a life. It is a beautiful life. It's, it's that peace that comes only when we have a healthy, even a godly relationship to our stuff to our things, to our money, to our savings account. You and I, we are the stewards of what we have. We are not the owners of what we have. The Bible talks about this over and over and over again. For instance, uh, an important theme like faith. The Bible talks 500 times about faith, as it should. An incredibly important theme. The Bible talks about love, maybe even a more important theme than that, about 700 times. The Bible talks about giving and generosity 2,100 times. Three times more often than it talks about love. This is so important to God. Why is it so important to God? Does he need your money? I hope, I hope lightning doesn't strike. I can't even believe I said the words implied in some crazy universe that God needs you and me and our money, what we have in our pocket. That is so far from the truth. It is ridiculous to even say it out loud. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my money. He wants our heart. In fact, there is zero biblical evidence that Jesus ever took up an offering. Jesus ever required, needed, demanded cash from his followers. In fact, the only time, as far as I was thinking, and uh, I'd have to do a little more research, but the only thing that pops into my head when Jesus really needed some cash you know how he found that, 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 that coin that he needed to pay the taxpayers, uh, the, uh, the tax collector? You remember that story? He went, he went fishing. Remember that crazy story? Kind of at the end of the Gospels, Jesus goes fishing, pulls in a fish, opens a fish's mouth. There's the drug, exact amount that he needed to pay. I always wonder, what a crazy story. Why would you include that? That sounds almost like a fairy tale, Jesus. I think it was that important to God to demonstrate how little he needs your dollar. How little he needs your money. If he needs money, which he did never, ever, ever, but let's say he did, he can get it from a fish. He's not coming to you. Although I will say, I believe that's why Phil goes fishing as often as he does. It may happen again, right? Here's the deal. God is calling us to live differently. Uh, uh, God is calling us to understand that a generous life is different from a worldly life. By living a generous life, this is what it looks like. When we live a generous and open-fisted life, it demonstrates a dependence on God. It demonstrates a trust in God. When we live that generous, open-fisted kind of life, it, live, it demonstrates a right relationship to our things, to our stuff, to our possessions. When we live a generous and open-fisted life, it perfectly models what our generous God does every day for you and for me. Folks, this is what God is calling us to do. This is what God would put into our go bag, generosity. And then finally, God would say, I would also add obedience to your go bag. This is that important. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, obedience. Now, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he or she will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and money. Now, this is key. Again, so many mentions of the word money, 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 money. We're thinking our, our mind automatically goes to money. This must be a money sermon, a money talk. This is not about money as much as it is about obedience. Who are you going to serve? In fact, that word serve is, is an excellent word. It's the Greek word doulos. It's more than just servant. It's actually slave. So what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, you are enslaving yourself to something. You are, you are handing over the, the governance of your life and your decisions and your purchases to somebody else. You are, you, are, you are allowing someone else, something else, to be the master over you. This master, whichever one you choose, is going to call the shots, not you. That's what you're deciding to do here. Why do so many of us believers fail at this? We could have been leveraging our possessions, leveraging our money, leveraging our time, leveraging our gifts, leveraging our talents for the kingdom of God, things that are eternal, and we continue to spend it on ourselves. We know this is true. We know the Bible preaches it. We even believe it is true. We know that our life is short. Our time on this earth is fleeting, and we know that eternity is forever, but our love for money And what it can do for us is so great that we have time for anything else. Each time we ignore this teaching, each time we ignore this word from God, each time we ignore the prodding, the poking of the Holy Spirit in this area of of discipleship and obedience, the more crusted over we become if we ignore our hearts harden just a little bit more. So... The next time we hear a teaching on this, the next time we run across a passage on this, the next time it's talked about in our Bible studies, we'll listen politely. We'll respond meagerly, marginally at best, pretending this teaching is for somebody else, pretending it's okay to make a a deal with God. God, give me a couple more years. Let me get the kids through school. Let me get the house paid off. Let me build up the nest egg just a little bit more. When that's all done, Lord, I'm all yours. I'll be given given a full, well, we'll we'll talk about the percentage later, Lord, but, but that day is coming, I promise you, Lord. And all the while we wonder why we're so spiritually sick. We never have enough. We never experience that true, that strong, that powerful faith, that miracle kind of faith that we see in others. Folks, there's really only two options when we talk about obedience. Just like Jesus said it here, there's God or there's money is is like the capital M, money, possessions, stuff, things that we would hold on to in this earth. That's, that's really the picture, even, even all the way to including to our own gifts, our own time. For many of us, our time is more valuable than the cash in our pockets. Whatever it is that we're holding on to tightly, that's what Jesus is talking about. Who is going to call the shots in your life? One option is that money or, or mammon or, or these worldly possessions, that will call the shots in life. If that's true, you are going to see that you are a, either a spender or a saver. Now, what would it look like if you were a spender under the control of your master is money or mammon? What would that look like? A spender, money makes you happy. 
And if not money, at least what you can buy with that money. Your joy, your excitement, your fulfillment, what, what, what soothes your soul, what calms your heart, what makes a bad day better again. The answer to your problems is either having or spending money and the things that you can accumulate because you have money. That is a spender. Now, also under the control of money, your master is mammon or money, you have the savers. Now, they're very different. They're not into buying and spending, and the things that they receive will soothe their soul. Actually, it's just the opposite. Their master is not God, but rather the, the security that money can bring, the, the promise that one day I will be taken care of, that what I have accumulated, what I have worked for, what I have put away, that thing will take care of me. There is little to no dependence on God whatsoever. God wants to be, he, he wants to develop a dependence in us. This goes completely counter to that desire of God and puts the dependence back on ourselves. God wants our, our, our money to, to serve him and not serve ourselves. These folks trust in their own bank account and not in the hands of God. Now, then there's other folks who have decided their master is not money or mammon or the things they possess, but rather their master is God. What would that look like? For these folks, they are not an owner of their things. They are a steward of their things. And this is very different. Their, their joy, their satisfaction, their peace, their happiness does not come from money or the things they can buy. Their security does not come from the money that they have accumulated and piled up and stacked up and counted a hundred times a month, their security comes rather from God. And because of that, they hold their possessions loosely. That which they have, they are able to, to invest and to use, sometimes to give away, sometimes to work with. But that money, the, the, those possessions, that time, those giftings, that is there to be used as tools to build the kingdom of God and not their own kingdom. As we close out, I want to give you three very practical examples, what this would look like in a life like yours and a life like mine, all right? Hold on to these. Number one example is this, uh, a guy who you may not have heard of. In fact, I'm quite sure you haven't because I, I never heard of him either, Humphrey Monmouth. That's a good name, right? Humphrey Monmouth is an old English name. He was besties with a guy named William Tyndale. Now, you may have heard of William Tyndale, especially if you have a Bible in the English language. I'm sure you've heard of William Tyndale. He was the first guy ever to translate the Bible, the written word of God, from, from Greek and even Latin into the English language. He paid for that crazy thought with his life. They hung him, and then they burned him at the stake. Why? Because he thought it was important that people like you and me could read God's word with our own eyes and not be told from a pulpit somewhere. Crazy thought. Next time you walk past your Bible, you know the one you haven't picked up in a couple days? I want you to remember guys like William Tyndall gave his very life so that Bible could be sitting on your desk waiting for you. So anyways, this guy Humphrey, he wasn't a, a linguist, he, he wasn't a theologian, uh, he wasn't a preacher, he had never learned Greek or Latin, uh, wasn't even much of an English speaker, but what he could do, he could sell stuff. He was a very wealthy merchant. God had gotten a hold of his heart, saved him, he was committed to what God was doing, and so he partnered with William Tyndale, said, William, you have the gifting to do what only you can do, I have the funds, so we will combine these two and let's see what God makes from it. 
That is exactly what the modern church looks like today. We have folks with gifting and in music and, and childcare and, and cooking and, and production and, and teaching and preaching. All of these gifts and other folks have those gifts and others and other folks have the gift of generosity. And God is calling us to combine these things in this church family to do something that none of us could do alone. We Tyndale couldn't have done his thing alone. Uh, uh, Monmouth couldn't have done his thing alone. But you bring those two men together, and it has changed the world up to this very day. Second example, very practical, right here from this church. Very unscientifically, I added up all of the volunteer hours that go on in this building, on this property, every week. Now, these are volunteer hours, not, not hours done by the paid professionals. Okay, well, we're paid anyway, so I don't know about professional, but this, this is you, folks that come to this place to serve Jesus, whether it's kids or, or kitchen or production or music or, or, or cleaning or fixing or whatever they're doing, about 150 hours a week. If you add up all those hours and we throw in all of the extra events like the car show and the, and the spring events, the summer events, the Christmas events, all those, it's about 10,000 volunteer hours a year. Right here, this little bitty church, all of those hours, all investing, all giving way. You'll never have those hours back until you get to heaven. Those hours last for an eternity. And God is calling us to give more and more. And then one final, one final example is this. You've heard me talk about it a few times already with the elders and, and the leaders of the church. We're dreaming. We believe God's slowly and, and, and making it clearer as we go, this vision for the future of our church. There, there are things that God wants us to be a part of. No, it's not our role to do everything in Cape Coral, to do everything in Florida, to do everything in our world. But our piece of the pie, what we believe God is calling us as a church to do, is to reach this community and a community in northwest Cape Coral. We believe God is calling us one day to be a part of this, this mass uh, influx of brand new folks. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no schools up there. There's no police departments up there. There's shopping malls. There's nothing up there yet but brand new families. And we believe God wants us to be a part of welcoming those families, planting a, a campus church up there and, and greeting them not only with the, the, the warmth and friendliness of this church, but the, the, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, some things need to change around here. With this building, we have this mortgage. You remember, we've talked about that a few times. We believe God wants us to pay that down as well. And so we believe that as God is giving us this, this vision that is way bigger than, than us, way bigger than the, the church leadership, way bigger than any of us could handle on our own, we also at the same time believe if God gave us this vision, he's also given the resources. Here's the deal. He already did. Here's the problem. They're still in your pocket. Oh, I did say it. Yes, I did. I'm online, and I said it. We believe God would not give a vision that is bigger than we could accomplish with a little bit of pocket change that we have unless he had already given the resources. We are praying that we as a church family would wake up to this life of generosity, of obedience, a, a, a vision for our eternity and live open-fisted, whether it's with our time, our, our talents, our energy, even our, our financial resources, pooling that to see God do what only God can do. Do you want to be a part of that? 
I know that I do. And I'm calling as many of you as possible to join us as we, we fulfill the vision that God's given us. That takes a view for vi- eternity. It takes generosity. And it takes obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. You speak to us in a powerful way that leaves us little wiggle room. And that makes us uncomfortable, Jesus, because there's really no out. So God, help us as we wiggle. Encourage us, strengthen us, even embolden us, Father, as we wiggle to take that step of faith. To look at our own lives, our own resources, our own treasure troves, and make some hard decisions. Each one of us, Father, would ask that question, where am I investing? In which world do I live? God, as we discover that and the truth is revealed to us, God, give us the power to make biblical choices with our resources, our gifting, our time, our energy, everything that we are. God, we so desire to be a part of what you're doing. You have entrusted us with a humongous vision, bigger than any of us could do. But God, we know with you and the resources you've already provided, we will take that step of faith. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.